And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. Quiet. I like you, my gifts. Does the gun not please you? No. <laughs> Can you speak so of your bridal gun? I've found my true mate. And you know it. Never. Beneath the skin, we are all ready. One. Was it not your sin trapped the unicorn? Even now, the evil seed of what you've done germinates within you. Now, you lie. You disgust me. You're nothing but an animal. <laughs> we are all animals, my lady. Hero Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Episode 180. We are here on a beautiful Bellingham day. I and except say. that, in my opinion, it's too fucking hot. Oh, stop. Um, <laughs> but we're here with a guest, uh, a guy who is an author of over 40 fan... This is That number kills me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 <laughs> fantasy and horror novels, um, including many that are in the Forgotten Realm universe. He's a fellow Crossroad press... Uh, author, gotcha. along yeah, with yeah, yeah. myself. Yeah. Uh, please welcome author Richard Lee Byers. Yay, Richard. Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> Good to have you on. Um, one of the reasons, like, when I saw your name, da- David, uh, David and I, Wilson, friend of the show, past guest. Right. Um, we, we were talking about, about Crossroad Writers, and your name came up, and I it really intrigued me because we talk so much about about horror right. and and martial arts and stuff that I thought we might talk a little bit about a genre we don't address much and that's sort of the 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 fantasy no- uh, novel which the which I mean if if I stop and think about it at least for myself is weird that that we haven't really talked about it that much because that was a huge part of my Formation. Yeah, I'm com- I'm the guy now coming into this as the, I I know nothing about this. I, I see, and I don't so believe that. I'm very excited more than about this. Realize, uh, probably yeah. right. Um, but well, you know, the, you know, the great fantasy and science fiction and horror writer Chris Leiber said that his uh, sword and sorcery stories were basically you know just the same as his horror stories, only with you know kind of in medieval drag. Yeah, with sword fighting, and you know, I write horror and fantasy, and I, I kind of think of it the same way. I don't feel like there's a huge difference in the way that I approach one as opposed to the other. It's just the setting. I agree. I, I think that at the end of the day, story is story, and, sure. and the trappings and the and as as you said, the drag of it may change, but a lot of it is, it's it's people in a room, well, things it, in a room talking and, and moving things around. And it's funny that brings up how people become fans of a particular thing, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it's like at the end of the day it is it is the same stories being told over and over again but yeah, for, for, yeah for whatever reason it's like if it has this is a horrible stereotyped example but if it has trolls and elves and that kind of stuff there's a certain group of people that are going to go to that story yeah and mm-hmm. if it has vampires and you know demons, a certain other group of people. And there people. can be bleed over, of course. Well, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always tell people when I when I hear them, you know, like arguing about uh, you know genre classifications. You know, is does this book belong to this genre or that genre, or is should this genre be actually be considered the same as this other genre? I always say that fiction is like one big pie, and. Um, the way that we choose to slice it are our genre classifications, and those can be useful for you know discussion and understanding. But we need to understand that um, only they're arbitrary. Mm. We could, if we chose, cut the pie in a completely different way, and that would be equally valid. Right. Agreed. I, I, yeah, I, agree, I, agree I, I'm thinking about um, Tom's latest book, which is essentially. Uh, 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 a zombie action novel, yeah. right? You know, if we're going to put a label on it, um, is that not fantasy? I mean, it, <laughs> it doesn't exist, yeah. therefore, you know. But it's a tough sell to the group that's liking, you know, Lord of the, Lord Rings, of the Rings and or, it, well, or what have you. Right. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. Genre is ultimately, as much as anything else, is a marketing tool. Yeah. Agreed. It's a way of, for publishers to say, to that particular group of readers that you mentioned that this is the kind of book that you like. Yeah. It's like yeah. The, 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 the Stoker, winning the Stoker Award. It doesn't mean that you were the best of the year. It's just that it's a handy way for a reader to go, I like horror. I like past Stoker Award winners. Right. So I, I will, I'm sure I will li- like this as well. Right, right, right. Um, I'm curious also about where did you grow up? I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, that's like that's 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 America, dude. Right <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, man, the Midwest is prime prime breeding ground uh, breeding ground for um, people who are trying to explore things outside of their get experience. out of the Midwest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Well, um, I'm always interested in in like, were you a bookish kid? Were you a reading kid? Were you um, for one of the kids forever with a book, or yeah, you, that was me. Yeah, very much so. I the always first, I, the first two books I can remember reading, and 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 that obviously you know put me on the course that uh, I would follow through my whole life were the uh, Mastermind of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs there and you go. Yes! by H.G. Wells. Nice, yes. nice man. The in, in particular. At a certain age, it, it, younger me mm. um, was all all over H.G. Wells, right? Mm. And mm. then, then you know, like puberty kicks in, and then it's like Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yeah. Because now <laughs> we have yeah, it, yeah, you know, now there's like there's scantily clad girls, sure. and there's like, and ultimately we end up end up end up at the Gore. Have you seen ever read the Gore? <laughs> yeah. Who's that? John Norman. <laughs> yeah. <Is> that, yeah. <laughs> My, my friends and I back back for before I left Columbus, uh, we used to read those basically to laugh at. Oh, them. they're hilarious! The only thing yeah. funnier than the Gore novels 
is the they made a film of one of the gore films. Oh my god, Oliver Reed. Yeah, Oliver Reed is in it, and it is horrendous. It's awesome. Does he play Charles Cabot? <laughs> no, he plays like the king. Yeah, or, okay. or something, and it's just him, Oliver Reed, being fat and drunk in this weird, <laughs> weird sword and sandal kind of outfit. That's great. Yeah, the main, the main thing that I remember, or one of the main things I remember about the Gore novels is, um, if you read them, they are, um, if you read them, they, they are, you know, he zeroes in on a particular theme for a particular <laughs> book of the late ones. Like, like, okay, this is going to be the Viking gore novel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is going to be like the Native American gore novel. Well, in, in the, the, at the time that he was writing the one that is the desert gore novel with, you know, gory and Bedouin analogs and stuff like that, uh, um, that was the same year that Jaws came out. Oh wow! Dad, even though that's a desert novel, he got a shark into it, <laughs> and, which, which I kind of admire. <laughs> well, that's the thing about uh, you know uh, um, guys like John Norman, Don Pendleton, people like that. It's mm-hmm. like okay, we here's the thing, right? Yeah. And 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 it's like, and it's it makes your job easier, right? Because it's like here are the very narrow constructs of what we're working in Mm -hmm. and all we got to do is deliver the goods right right absolutely i mean it's kind of like that with um to a degree with uh any kind of uh you know series fiction once you get going it's like okay i know i'm writing about these guys and i know you know this is what they do and this is their you know this is their milieu and mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of decisions for you automatically. Yeah, well, I just picked up a book uh, to read. It's a, one of the Doc Caliban, the farmer books. Yeah. And it's way into the series. And so it's consi- consistently going, remember when this happened? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> and luckily they explain it. But, but I agree. Those are there. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've only read... Um, a Feast Unknown, and then the two books that, that, that came out, like, in an Ace Double novel. That's the one I have, the one with the Lord of the Trees. See, I yeah, I, I think that I think that's the end. I think before that, there's A Feast Unknown, and after that, it's one I, of Farmer's unfinished series. Because as you read it, it's like, it's rich. You think, I, there right, there's be a dozens whole world. of these. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think that it's much that, that Farmer uh, may, wrote a bunch of those books as... He did write a, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better word, documentary um, oh. that kind of laid it out for you, and I can't remember the name of it. Hmm. Um, but, uh, he wrote, like, fake biographies of both Tarzan and Doc Sam. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A feast of known is like, you you got to read that, dude. Like, <laughs> you know who told me that? I, I, sh- I posted the picture of this book that I'm reading now on Facebook, and David Scow was like, you gotta read these books. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's, awesome. it's the same way with someone like, anyone who's doing a series. I'm, I'm reading a lot of Don Pendleton, Don Hamilton books, and those are very much you know, yeah, it's written in their you know, sleep. Yeah. Kind of rocking along. Um, uh, so, I was going to ask you about the first book you read. Do you remember the first story you wrote? Um... Probably not. The first story I remember writing was a sword and sorcery story. Wow. But I, w- I wouldn't swear to it that that was the first one I ever wrote. It's probably the maybe the first one that you know my brain didn't protect me from by erasing. 
I remember first story I wrote second grade. It was about called Man for All Seasons. It was an H.G. Wells sort of Doctor Moreau thing. Very nice. Blatantly <laughs> ripping everybody off. Sure. The, the very first thing that I ever, I, I'm, I'm putting in quotes, wrote. Yeah. Was actually a series of pictures. Okay. It was a series of. Uh, it, it was entire. You know, like. Those little letter uh, tablets that your mom used to get to write yeah, letters yeah, yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I filled up one of those with this whole story about these guys that are get they get shrunk down. Okay. And then uh, I can't I, mean. re- I can't remember how they get there, but they wind up in somebody's hair and they have to fight a, a, a louse. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. Where's? <laughs> That's so funny. Why not? Yeah. Well, I'm in. I'm sure. You know, I was like, what? You know, four or five. I'm sure that there was probably some kid at school that had head lice and that was looming large in my <laughs> imagination at the time. Well, you get your inspiration work. That uh, happens. Absolutely. Yeah. I hear that. Um, speaking of, I'm wondering. I noticed in your in a bio I read on you that you have a master's in psychology. Yeah, I do. I, I worked in the in a uh, inpatient mental health facility, like a crisis admission kind of facility, for a number of years before I bagged it and tried to be a writer. Now I'm curious about that because, like, I worked in sleep for a long time with sleep medicine, and it just provided me with characters. Just as people came through the door, you were always like, "Oh, that guy's got a funny little t- tick." And and with a, a, a degree in psychology, I'm wondering. Did that help at all in the in like you getting helping to get like this is what I want to have the end result be when someone reads this and and, and am I making sense to this? You're well. Uh, you're asking if his background in psychology has informed his writing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that it gets in there somehow, some way, just because I assimilated all that information. But I actually don't think it's. I'm not conscious of it being in there very much as I work. Hmm. Uh, I, I mean, to me, you know, psychology was like an intellectual discipline, and uh, it, you know, you kind of, you 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 know, you kind of apply it like you'd, um, I don't know, like if you were a chemist, you'd you'd apply the laws of chemistry to try to make a particular formula. I mean, and and I mean, there's some of that in writing fiction. But I think for me, writing fiction is much more of a um, kind of a subjective, empathic process, where it's like, you know, just does this feel right? You know, mm. does, does does do do I have the sense that I'm creating the effect that I wanted to create? And the same way, and with, as far as creating characters, yeah, I, I know some principles of of psychology and you know various personality theories and that kind of thing, but I'm. But I, I find it, to create a character, to pick the character, I find it much more useful to just kind of uh, try to get inside a character's head and imagine, if I were him, what I would be thinking and feeling in a particular situation. What what I have found is that most, um, for lack of a better word, uh, professionals that I've met, when it comes to their artistic endeavors, it, it, there's less influence there than you would think from that. So like uh, a left brain, right brain thing? Well, it, yeah. It, it, it's almost like a, you know, a, a mechanic doesn't necessarily approach, you know, f- doing something in the house the same way that he would whenever. It's like there's a, it's, it, it, it seems to me, because I'm not, I, I don't have <laughs> a, 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 you know, my degrees in, like, art. But 
it seems to me that people flick a switch. Mm. It's kind of like it's kind of like my law enforcement training. It's like I don't think about things in that aspect until something happens. And I guess but in both of your cases, I would ask about the discipline giving an insight that is so ingrained that you like you you go I I want a character that's that's evil, so I'm going to portray him in a very specific way using what I know about evil people. I might just way out. I feel like I'm way out on a limb here. No, no. There's, I think there's an element of, of truth to that. I think maybe that's where I use it the most in terms of um, what you know, depicting villains, mm-hmm. and I guess in terms of thinking, okay, this character is supposed to have like a strong sociopathic streak. So what are sociopaths like? Exactly. Or, or this character is supposed to be, you know, paranoid. What are paranoids like? I think it comes in much less handy when it's like, okay, this is supposed to be the good guy. What's he going to be like? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a, good guys are always hard because they're <laughs> they can be too good. Well, I think I think the trick is to make the good guy, uh, for lack of a better word, a blank, so that the reader mm. um, essentially what Howard it basically did. makes yeah exactly makes makes themselves the good guys. They're so, the avatar of yeah, the Yeah, it kind of it kind of kills a lot of the work for you because they bring whatever their experience is to the table. It's the guy that it's whenever you're going into a weird world or something, you have that character that kind of takes you by the hand and is like, mm-hmm. "Hey man, I'm just like you." You know, the everyman. Right. You know, what I do with a lot of my characters is certainly my continuing characters is, you know, I for the most part, I don't write about the guy that uh wakes up in the morning and says, how can I go out and do good? I, I write about the character that's like, uh, how am I going to go out and earn a paycheck? But then, you know, he runs up into something really bad and his sympathy is engaged or his morality at that point is engaged and says, okay, I guess I, I'm, I'm the one who's here. i got to do something about this. Mm. But I, I think the truly, truly altruistic character who just spontaneously wants to go out and you know, do good day after day is one of the hardest kind of characters to bring off, even though, you know, those kind of people really do exist in life. Yeah. Sure. But, but it's still hard to sell them in fiction. Well, they're, at least for they're boring in fiction, <laughs> aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's... it's it's in a, I had a discussion with Frank Miller once about Superman and Batman, and I had said that Superman, you just got the impression his bed was always made. And that's right. just inherently un... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, it 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 automatically makes me not not like Superman. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like Superman, depending on on how he's being written and stuff. Agreed. Um, I mean, my 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 favorite. Um, I think my favorite Superman moment though is um, Alan Moore wrote a story called "For the Man Who Has Everything," mm-hmm. and and Superman is uh, he puts this um, parasitic. I guess it's a plant kind of thing, but anyway, it, it, it attaches to somebody, and they um, they live in their minds. They're living in some uh, some fantasy that they deeply desire, and um, meanwhile, the thing's feeding on them until they you know waste away and die. Right. So Mongol puts it on Mongol, who's one of the big DC villains for anybody who doesn't know. But they puts it on Superman, and he has a in his his uh, hallucin in his hallucination. He's Living as an adult on a Krypton and it exploded. And oh, wow. uh, what, what I'm leading up to is that um, when um, the plant thing is pulled off Superman and he's back in the real world and realizes it was all a lie, um, 
more depicts him like totally losing his temper and right. just going off on Mongo, which is something you never see Superman do. And it's it's like, oh, he, he can do that if the provocation is bad enough. Yeah. It reminds me of what when they uh, overdoses, when they Narcan, and they'll come out of it going, uh, thinking that they were d- going to die, and right. then they wake up and they're really pissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> well, and same and sort of thing. Like, for me, like, that's like, the only interesting angle for Superman is that you're when he loses his mind. Well, he you're, gets mad. you're well, you're you're essentially a god. Yeah, and. There's the potential there for you to abuse that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and oh, and but I he has that, that good Kansas upbringing. He does have the good <laughs> Kansas upbringing. That uh, well, there's that there's another really classic Superman story, and I'm I'm embarrassed I can't remember who wrote it, but it was called uh, "What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way," and Superman meets these characters who are, you know, these antiheroes basically who are analogs to the characters in a a comic called The Authority. Uh-huh. Who are much more, um, much more ruthless and expedient than Superman is, and uh, you know Superman basically has to uh, defend his way of doing things as opposed to their way. They, you know, which is you know their way of things. Is, well, why don't we just kill Luther? You know, kind of deal. Sure. And uh, that, that's another interesting story too because it, it explores, you know, it's, rather than him just having this code, and you kind of think, well, that's what Ma and Pa Kent taught him. So that's who he is. It actually explores. It actually demonstrates that he's got a, a rationale for being who huh. he is and the way that he is. Yeah, it's a good character. I just think that it's easy to. It's really easy fall to back to, on to get you know. lazy with that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I do, do like that. I think he's more there. interesting, <laughs> and and the fact that he's human um, uh, makes it even better. My favorite, favorite, even as Tom will tell you, um, I, I I am not a comic book guy. Uh, even though I recognize that they are kind of the modern um, mythos or, or myth, um, there was this awesome thing where um, Clark Kent had an illicit uh, uh, affair with Amelia Earhart, and they <laughs> and the result was this guy that this, the, their their love child. Um, who goes by the name of Joe Guy, and uh, if you ever get a chance, just look up Joe Guy <laughs> online, and you'll 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 thank me. <laughs> DC published this, or it was no, or it was it was in it was in the Warren Publications. It was in oh, either okay. Creepy or Eerie or one of those. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at that. Yeah, Clark gets his a swerve on. Fave. I'm interested in. We, we touched on it a little earlier, but I'm interested in hearing about. Um, your process, quote unquote, um, everything. I'm interested in like the fact that you work in some some established sort of, for one of a better word, I'm going to call it franchises like the um, Forgotten Realm. There are rules in place, and so how do you do you pitch them first before you put a put pen to paper, or um, how does that work? Uh, well, I've <coughs> all the worlds that I've worked in, and I have worked in quite a few. Um, normally, I would um, approach an editor and uh, say, you know, I'm interested in writing tie-in fiction in your world, and they will tend to come back and say, okay, send me a, a concept for a 
a short story or a sudden for uh, you know for this an- themed anthology or whatever whatever it is they're looking for at the moment and um and if you're lucky then they um if you're lucky they say okay that's a good idea go ahead and write that and um if um if you write it and they like it and they 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 found that you're a reasonable person to work with they'll tend to um you know they'll they'll tend to offer you more stuff and over time maybe bigger stuff i did uh, when i got into forgotten realms our first thing i did was a couple short stories and then uh you know some standalone novels and then and which uh, did not have um you know consequences for the universe and they were just personal stories but you know kingdoms didn't fall continents mm-hmm. didn't sink you know all that kind of, and uh which is something that you normally do want to avoid in shared world fiction and eventually i got to the point where they trusted me enough where they said well we want to have like a big event trilogy and maybe even a big event trilogy where we decided that the forgotten realms needs to change in a particular way and we want you to be the guy that depicts that in the fiction how cool is that yeah 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 Yeah. both cool and quite a responsibility yeah i would imagine intimidating well i I mean with forgotten realms i kind of got used to it um it's i mean because it was always i mean you know i mean there's always editors looking over (laughs) your shoulder and you can't you know, if you screw it up too bad, I'll tell you to go back and do it again. <laughs> so are you... Tra- are you tra- that might happen to me, but, it w- you know, it could have. And, and better that than I write something that's not appropriate to the setting. Is there a Bible? It varies. That's given? Um, for these game worlds, um, for these game worlds, you always have the uh, game, some kind of game source book, uh-huh. which has a lot of information in it. For... Um, Forgotten Realms, uh, at least at, at certain points, they did put forth a Bible that um, it was more of a style guide mm. than like um, than like information about the universe. The information about the universe was all in, in the source books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, huh. So, so are you are you turning in chapters as you finish them to go? Does this pass muster, and can I move forward, or? Do you just have to? Are you just checking in periodically? Um, so far, nobody has ever asked me to do that. Okay. Uh, what, uh, what they've—I mean—doesn't mean they might not at some point on some project. But normally, what the, the way it works is, uh, you get an outline approved, uh, you go write it, and, and then you turn in that initial draft, and then it, it's like you know, basically writing a non-franchise story. You turn in that initial draft, the editor goes over. Maybe depending on the property, there's some other kind of like continuity people going over it too mm-hmm. to um, make sure that you didn't uh, say there were four moons when there were really five or something, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, it, it'll come back with comments and uh, and and you'll revise. And normally that'll be it. Although I work one publisher I'm working with now has um, you get the outline approved, you, you write your story, you turn it to your editor, your editor asks for revisions. And uh, you send in the revision, and then it goes to some beta readers, and then it's going to come back one more time with their comments. Wow! So, so that's uh, so you wind up basically processing the story three times instead of two. I'm, sure. The 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 genesis of my my interest in this is like it's such so alien to me the idea of like here's the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah. Yeah, instead of you making it all up. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm very interested in like. 
um, the the concept of working with other people and and making sure you're not upsetting the apple cart and I think the whole thing. Well, is think about this. So you've been reading these these kind of pulp yeah. uh, uh, things, and let's say you know that they they come back in a big way, and somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, Tom, I want you to write you know this executioner novel." Sure. You know, do you think you could do it? Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's uh, again the the questions would be about: Is there a world? Is the Bible? Is there things I can't do? Is I you, know, you, you would like for somebody to be able to give you it's like hey man here's something here's the guy some structure if yeah. you're going to say with you have to operate within a structure sure then give me some structure you can't just yeah 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 um, so the rule um, uh, the one thing you can't do is uh, the is like make lasting change to the big world yeah I mean, uh, certainly not as you're starting out there. What the, the, they're saying, they always say, is don't blow up the moon. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, it, it's interesting because a lot of times you'll talk to people that, I, or, a lot, or over the years, I've often talked to people who want to write a Forgotten Realms novel or a World of Darkness novel or whatever, and uh, they they often want to write a particular story. Mm. And the particular story is the story that um, the one story that you can't write. Yeah, sure. And and like a lot of these, um, particularly game worlds, are built around uh, big, enduring conflicts. And a lot of people's first impulse is to write the story that um, resolves that conflict for all time. You know, one side definitively wins, and the other side definitively loses. And you can't do that because they're point, they're planning to exploit that conflict in other products for years to come. Right. Yeah. You just ended my franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, 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 and the same deal with um, um, big, big mysteries. Some um, <clears throat> some uh, worlds have a big question at the heart of them, or more, or several big questions at the heart of them. And again, a lot, a lot of times, a fan's first impulse will be, "Well, I want to write the story that you know, solves that mystery." Again, you can't do it because they want that mystery driving more products in the future. Right. We've seen what happens when when people are forced into that. <clears throat> Say, for example, Twin Peaks. Yeah. Where uh, just due to the fact that they were going to get canceled and, and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, you need stuff, to wrap it up. It's like, hey, man, you got to let us know who killed Laura Palmer. And it... It, it sucked all the, the wind out of those sails mm-hmm. once that happened, and they, they had to do, like, other crap, and it was never as good. Um, I'm interested in, you know, when we say fantasy, um, it can mean a lot of different things, but to most people, it means a um, either an alternative history, or it, it, we don't see a lot of machine guns in fantasy. For example, unless it's urban fantasy. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, and and I'm I'm wondering, like, you know, did did Lord of the Rings? Because I I, I see J.R.R. Tolkien as kind of the guy that like, you know, brought brought all these old myths and things together and made it. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, palatable for 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 mass consumption. Okay. Um, and, and therefore, his thing is kind of the Ur fantasy um, that started off this entire genre of all, you know people writing you know the Dragonlance books, mm-hmm. you know the Forgotten Realms books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They all draw from his example, and his example is from 
going back and mining the old myths. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my question is, we've had that for decades now. Is that still is that still a valid? You know, are, is the audience still there? Oh, uh, I I think I guess it is. Um, Bob's. I mean, there's still a lot of being published, and uh, uh, Ari Salvatore, Bob Salvatore, is you know somebody I've gotten to know cause from working in the Forgotten Realms, and he said that um, you know he said that uh, you know people start reading fantasy often when they're uh, you know relatively young, like junior, you know, in their teens, you know, junior high school age, and he said that you know the people that are just getting into the genre want to see the uh, you know the dragon in the cave and the dwarves in the other cave and the elves in the forest and uh, mm-hmm. kind of all the uh, standard tropes of you know of Tolkien and he said as, after they've read it for a few years they may get tired of it and want to read other kinds of fantasy or a different genre altogether but there always be new kids coming up that do still that do, are just getting into it and do want to see the dwarves and the, and the elves and all that. So you're always going to have an audience. Well, let alone with with the the whole YA thing as well, right? Right. That's that's seemed like a perfect match. Well, and 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 it seems like as as time goes on, then then you start to get, I don't know, for lack of a better word, revisionist versions of things, and it's like you get the body. Uh, yeah. You know, version of Lord of the Rings, or the you know the the you get the the you know the elf protagonist who's also an alcoholic, or you, <laughs> you, you start to get these more grown up themes inside this world, right? Right. right. Well, I do think that there's um, I I think there's kind of two threads, uh, two two wellsprings of fantasy that um, are. You know that you can kind of see mixed together to the taste of various writers. Tolkien is one that whole British um, thing, and the other I see is kind of the uh, you know, Howard Liver Moorcock uh, pulp sword and sorcery. Yeah. Yes, cool. Which is is actually the much as I admire Tolkien is actually the kind I like yeah. the best. Uh, I was just going to say we call that the good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and then, which goes back to what you're saying before about the. The main character being uh, uh, almost a cipher for the reader, right? And that's because you know Conan was the old, it was the catalyst that started some shit, Dude. and you were able to walk in those shoes. For how, a yeah, I, you know, like uh, how powerful was that for me as a kid yeah. to put myself in this? I, I was going to say shoes, but I'll say sandals or boots of uh, yeah. oh, a character yeah. who like. Oh, you offended me? <laughs> Fuck you! And, yeah. <laughs> well, for me, it was read, reading th- the thing in the crypt for the first time. Oh, dude! It changed everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like you can do this. That's yeah. so rad. You know, it, 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 great thing for me. The great thing about the Conan stories when it, when I discovered them was one, there was all this great violence, and, sure. and, and that was like. <laughs> That was a big draw for me as a as a as a nerdy kid, you mm-hmm. know, because I wanted to fucking punch the world. Yeah. And the other thing about it was, it wasn't like James Bond where he stayed the same. There was there was a whole th- the Conan stories, and I know this isn't the first time that this was done, but it's the first time that I became aware of it. Provided me with a map. Yeah. That provided me with this entire history that was written separately and I get that El Sprague, the Camp and people like that are the ones who put that together kind of afterwards but it 
but obviously Howard had it there in right. order to be. And so we go, we followed Conan from a kid, from from the the same age that I was when I discovered it, to an old man. Mm-hmm. And I love that about that whole series. Yeah. I think Howard actually wrote that essay, uh, History of the Hyborian Age, or whatever it is. Yeah. You find it's stuck in one or another of the Conan volumes, yeah. Um, and, and I think he drew the like the prototype map too. So um, the camp and, and those guys were just kind of just kind of cleaned it up a little. Building, I think building on Howard actually did lay down all of that for for I, for people. You know, it's funny too when you go back and you read Howard and uh, and you you know you're familiar with the Conan stories, which in my opinion are that's his best work. Mm-hmm. And you go and you read some of the short stories that he did that, you know, were maybe a Western or something. And his work varies in quality so much. Like, yeah. it, like some of it's, like, just really not good. And then some of it is, in my opinion, Well, divine. he was working for a paycheck, so it's yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was burning that those out at an amazing rate. Yeah. As, as a, lot of, a lot of the pulp writers did. And uh, and yeah, I I agree that it, it varies quite a bit in quality. I mean, I think that the um, I think that horror and fantasy and a certain kind of historical adventure were really where his heart was. And then when I said when you read his his western stories or his boxing stories, yeah, okay, but the, the, the you do get the feeling he didn't care as nearly as much about them. The beauty of that is I just bought a. Robert E. Howard complete for Kindle for like ninety nine cents, and it's got oh, everything. Wow. Everything? Wow! That everything that I can keep, see. Keep in mind, this is a guy right, that so. died when he was thirty. Yeah, thirty. Yeah, yeah. It, like, where where does your reading go? Like when it, you, I'm going to take you to Barnes Noble, and you can buy anything on me. So where where are we going first? Oh, I mean, in the genre, or just anything at all? Anything. Or? I'm mostly interested in you as a writer. The genre is a byproduct of all that. Okay, well, it's, well, it's, I, it's kind of so. It's kind of what you're asking is like who I'm reading today. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um. I who I read today. I read. Um, I'm. You know, we wouldn't go to Howard because I read him already. Right. 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 Um. I'm. I'm a big fan of uh, a couple of horror writers, uh, John Langan and uh, Paul Tremblay. Yeah. I think they're doing brilliant, brilliant work. I love Joe Lansdale's stuff. Yeah, you do. I read uh, <laughs> Simon, Simon R. Green's uh, urban fantasy stuff. I really like that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I as I read, as far as uh, nonfiction, whenever uh, Matt Taibbi does a new book, I read it. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing great work. I'm interested. Do you... We all can identify with um, that that special feeling that a writer or that a discovery of a certain world, etc., gave us at a younger age. Does that ever happen to you now at this age? Uh, it's it's definitely rarer because I've just read so much. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I'm fascinated by, uh, by Simon R. Green's um, urban fantasy universe. Just the way he's able to um, just throw every imaginable thing from fantasy and science fiction into it and just blend it all together. I mean, I, I thought Jim Butcher was good at that, but, you know, he, he basically only does fantasy. Um, uh, Simon R. Green does all the science fiction shit in there. Too. Yeah. <laughs> he's, got, 
<laughs> aliens and all this stuff. And I, that that's pretty cheap. But I t- I guess now more than um, more than worlds, I I've drawn to particular writers. Um, mm-hmm. what, what I didn't mention before that I should mention because I think he's like the he's like the best writer of everybody I've read of, of the big thick cinder block fantasy books that, that are um, is uh, Tad Williams. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big, big fan of his. But anyway, I was, I was like I said, it's um, you know I discovered Simon Green. I said, yeah, I'm going to keep reading this guy. Uh, Langan, Tremblay. Mm-hmm. I really like uh, Bernard Cornwell that writes the historical adventure novels. He wrote the Sharp series, and yeah, he's moved on to other things now. But I, uh, his books are always good. Yeah, historical fiction. I always lean on Pressfield, Stephen Pressfield, who did the Gates of Fire and. It's a lot I have not read him. He's good. Gates of Fire is phenomenal. It's the Battle of Thermopylae, um, but like it, it brings you down onto what they call the dance floor. About like you're in there in the front line. Holding right. It's not. It's not some intellectual treatise on. The, yeah. No. The they're they're how, they're good yeah. stuff. He he's now gone on to World War Two, but his. His Peloponnesian War books and that kind of thing are really good. And, and I've always been more of a Harry Turtle. Yeah, I was going to mention Harry again, Turtle love because of the Conan book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, I I think that that's something that you discover, you know, when you're a kid, you, you know, it's all, you know, it's it's like Dorothy opening the door <laughs> and stepping out into Oz, right? Yeah. And he's like, oh, and and as an adult, I think. In order for it to work for for me, is is that I have to bring in all these other things that I now know. Right. So I love when you get like a historical. Um, this isn't. This doesn't fall under the, the the normal umbrella of fantasy. But take for example the Terror by Dan mm-hmm. Simmons. Right. Or, or, yeah, or any of those kind of things where it's like I'm taking this real life event and then I'm spinning off into these. Either supernatural or fantastical um, things attached to it. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what makes me feel the same way as I did when I was a kid. Opening up the World of Tears series, for example, by Philip Jose Farmer. Right, 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 right. Man, those were great. H- how has Game of Thrones influenced the audience? Um. Well, I mean, those books are incredibly popular, and and people, so people are going to look for more books that are like that. And writers are going to be encouraged to write books that are like that to the extent that they're able. You know, it's um, it's, it's like anything else is popular. You know, it's going to be it's going to be imitated, and you're going to have readers looking for more things like that. Hmm. Um, it's certainly it's certainly up that uh, those are certainly books. I think that. Um, that um, you know, he where the popularity is that he decided that uh, you know nobody was going to be safe. That uh, characters were going to start out looking very bad, and then you start he start to explore their inner lives and their motivations, and you'd start to sympathize with them. And he was going to basically throw a lot of the uh, kind of the, 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 the standard easy ways to do fantasy out the window, and I, I, I people appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just. I was just curious because it's exactly right. Once you've read all the books, and if you're a fan, you want more. And uh, uh, unfortunately, like the zombie genre, where 
oftentimes the more you get isn't really, you know, it's not what it should be. It's tough, I think, to do a... It's tough to do a zombie story that doesn't that, that doesn't feel like a lot of other zombie stories. Agreed. It's um, always it's, it's always we're locked in the house and they're outside. What are we going to do? And there's right. it's there such a wider palette. Stories. Yeah, yeah there's such a wider palette. Yeah, I mean, I've written a, I've written or I've, I rather I've, I've watched a bunch of zombie movies, mm. and the ones that stand out are the ones that are not the standard. Zombies, each other than like Romero's, you know, of course, right. you know, those stand out. But it's like, uh, there's one called Dead Girl. Have you seen Oh, one? yeah. Dead, Dead and, Girl. And uh, there's, there's one called um, American Zombie. Mm hmm. And there's one called Fido. Yeah. Oh, Fido. And, 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 and none of those are, um, none of those are the standard zombie story. Well, look at For Better For Worse, this Martin Freeman cargo that's on Netflix now. Right. Um, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I know people that really like it, and some people really hated it, but it's at least it's doing something different. Different. We were, Is it a zombie thing? Yeah. He's, oh, okay. It's a, he has a, it's based on a short film that was making the rounds around the internet. He's got a, his wife is a, turns into a zombie, bites him, he's got an infant, that he puts in a backpack that he walks takes across the desert to find someone to care for the infant before he turns so it's, it's, the, it's very the, compelling the only issue that I have with that film is that oh you saw it that's well I haven't seen it yet okay. no but I but I saw the short film mm -hmm. and the short film is in my opinion perfection it's a it's an amazing idea and it 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 uh, uh, you know, it's like it's so often like short stories, right? We read a short story and it's like it's fantastic, and then somebody tries to drag it. Out. It's like the Saturday Night Live skit that somebody tries to drag out into a two-hour movie. I think right. it works much better as a short film. I, I can't imagine the the. But at least they tried. Well, yeah, it's something I different. It. Yeah, I if it's a zombie thing, I'll probably I'll probably end up taking a look at it. I do think that actually, a, you know, the, the zombie siege thing can still be done well, but it's, it's like anything else that's been done a lot. Mm -hmm. you, uh, it's, you either need to do something different, or you need to do the standard story very, very well. Yeah. And they can stand out from the crowd. I like, um, what, what's the one, Last Pain to Bahrain? Oh, yeah, yeah. Busan. No, that, that's, a, that's, yeah. A, that's your basic zombie seed story, but I thought that one really, that one really cooks. Hey, I like really that. Well. I love seeing genre pass through the filter of their cultures. It's yeah. very, very, very right, cool. Right, because it's always something different. Very, very cool, yeah. Yeah, for people that want to see zombies someplace other than the the United States or Britain, there's uh, The Dead and The Dead 2. Yes, Africa. The John yeah, one's the India, one's in Africa. I forget which is which, but those are good movies. Yeah, the Ford yeah. Brothers. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. did a big conversation with them at one point. Yeah. On oh, that's another good. Sh other show. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, for ZombieCon, we premiered The Dead at ZombieCon. Gotcha, right there. gotcha, oh, gotcha. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. You know, bringing that subject back to to what we were we were originally talking about, you know, you were talking about Game of Thrones and how it's affected mm -hmm. fantasy and 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 those types of things. We have zombies in Game of Thrones, right? Like, there's an entire army of freaking zombies that are right. coming to you know, yeah, and yeah, uh, and and uh, as much as I'm sick of zombies, I like that idea. I like that there is this. You know, it's almost like. It's almost like the zombie horde is in, in, in that particular case is 
the sins of your past coming back to haunt you. Um, and and I like that idea. I like both the idea of zombies as uh, uh, nature rebelling and an act of God, mm-hmm. and you're having to pay for shit that you've done. Yeah, you know. Agreed. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on self-publishing. Well, it didn't work very well for me. <laughs> um, I mean, I I think that um, you know I I tried self-publishing a couple things. Um, as an experiment, and uh, the you know I'm I'm proud of the work that I did. I'm glad I put it out there, but it, the book the it didn't really make me much money. You know? Right, right, right. Um, the uh, it was wasn't really worth continuing. The things that I self published are now available from other publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, as my experience with with it was kind of I, this could just be my rationalization for failure. But um, I felt like it was it was like it wasn't like a, the the next it wasn't like another room in the house that was my writing career up to that point. It was like you have to go build a new house. Yeah, if, if that makes any sense, it's like nothing that you've done is really relevant. You know, you, you've got to like build an audience from scratch and do all this promotional stuff, and it's like. Well, it's every, it's everything a writer isn't, right? It's it's the, yeah. a writer is reclusive for the most part, but to, you have to PR your your shit. You got to get out and hustle. Get out yeah. and hustle, and yeah. it's just hard. Now, I always say the the great thing about self publishing is is that anyone can publish a book. The bad thing is that anyone, anyone can, can publish, publish a book. book. <laughs> That's where you see this. I just recently discovered there's a whole market for. Women and dinosaur erotica. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, and I and I look at my sales and go, what the fuck? Well, here, so <laughs> you could have been writing that all I, this time. I should be. I don't remember. I, I I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, I want to say it was Amazon. I can't remember who, but I think it was Amazon. Stopped the practice of selling um, yeah. this kind of monster erotica stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. this article about this one particular lady, you know, she was a middle-aged house, housewife, and that was her income. Like, she was making 60 grand a year mm-hmm. writing Bigfoot sex stories. And, like, her her market... Now, how, how one comes to that, I have no idea. But <laughs> just the fact that somebody's able to do that and that that, that market is there... Um, the the fact that the market's there really bums me. Out. Oh no, no, dude! Like like like, you know, the world is a is a multicolored place. Um. <laughs> but it's Bigfoot. Yes. Um, Bigfoot needs love too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Stan- According to those novels, a lot of love. a lot of love, a lot for a long time. <laughs> Um, um, how how do you find do, is it more of the same when it comes to social media it's like you having to get out there and post and actually put where, where that kind of almost becomes a second job it is a second job well, well people say that um, people say that uh, you know years ago it was the self published people that really need to get out and promote and promote and promote and now it's everybody mm-hmm so um, you know, I I don't know if it you know it's really hard for me to gauge whether it does me any good. Mm-hmm. But I know I don't want to be the only guy t- 
trying to make it who isn't doing it. (laughs) Even though I don't, I can't prove that it helps me. I'm afraid to stop. So I'm I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook every day, and you know, and do some tweets and all, all that kind of stuff. I, I, it's, it's so hard because it's, it's, I always try to balance it like, like maybe a four to one ratio. You know, here's four yeah. things that I think you might be interested in. Right. To my one thing of shill. Um, and yeah, I, 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 yeah, my ratio would be even less shill than you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that I, you're, uh, I think that mine might be like maybe one in ten or something. Yeah. Yeah. If, if that, and uh, my secret to doing it is, um, where not having it just be like, oh God, you know, the whole morning is gone while I was doing social media. Is I've come up with a couple little sticks that I do every day, okay. and then people will come will come find me to say, you know, to see, oh, I wonder what he, I wonder what is th- what's in this feature today, right? And uh, and hopefully all there is it. Oh, he's plugging a book. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, we should throw him some a dime. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you come to meet David? I, God, it was a long, long time ago when we, I was back when we were both doing uh, World of Darkness novels for White Wolf. Um, okay. You know, I'm, way back when this was like the first iteration of the World of Darkness. I think they've, I think maybe there's there's a the World of Darkness is on its third incarnation right now. Mm-hmm. I'm really not sure of that. I know there's been at least two, and they had they had a, a they had a fiction line going for a while, and we both. Wrote on that. I wrote for that, and I think that we also uh, probably like ran into each other in an early HWA meeting or something mm. like. That. I'm, I, I, I'm I mean, eventually a time came uh, just here recently where I was looking for somebody to, uh, you know, to to publish some material and uh, or republish some material, and then I, I contacted him and said, "Yeah, he was interested." So right on. There we are. He's I, David's awesome. Part of my job here is to is to to be the the uh, the person who holds the hand of the new listener. You're talking about David. David Wilson. Yes, David uh, Wilson, publisher uh, of Crossword Press, and also has a bunch of books on his own. Right, right, right. Um, are you a gamer? Yeah, I, I tomorrow I have to go run my another session of my uh, Champions game for my gaming circle of friends. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a old school, you know, tabletop pa- pa- pencil, paper, and dice gamer. Yeah. I don't really do electronic gaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Postain calls it nerd poker. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah, kind of. I love to play poker too. Do you? Yeah. You, I read that you you one of your uh, other hobbies is fencing. Yeah, you know, I, that that that. But all honestly, that in my bio is a little bit out of date. I oh, okay. haven't done it. For a while, I like. I mean, I did it for like twenty years. So nice. I, I think I think I you know grandfathered into calling myself a fencer forever at yeah. this point. But but I actually have not had the chance to do it for a while. There was kind of a combination of factors which stopped me going to my club. And sure, he thinks I pretty much just go to the gym to stay fit. But, right. Uh, yeah. But it, it's it's a great sport. It's a great hobby. I would anybody who thinks. They might be interested in it. I would certainly encourage them to try it. Sure. Two people that I know that are into were, were into fencing. Uh, Bruce Lee. Yep. Tom Savini. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big time fencer. Yep. Uh, so much of uh, JKD theory, uh, especially on entering, is based mm-hmm. on fencing theory. I just watched a video today, Ron, friend of the show, past guest Ron Balicki, talking about it's that forty minute 
instructional video that he yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Talking about that very thing. Yeah. It's 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 all about it's all about getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it, that, that, that's a whole that's other a, that's a whole other podcast. Um, I'm curious about the trends that you see in um, uh, in fiction now that people are more and more genres are getting bent, and I'm just curious. If there's anything that you see coming up that's interesting, um, you may be asking the wrong guy because Uh-oh. I tend, but my time is uh, my time to read is limited. I, I tend to read people I've read before, okay, rather boldly exploring new writers. I don't do that too often, so I'm probably oblivious to a lot of the there exciting work that's doing that's going on now. But I mean, I think that. Um, in horror, guys like Langan and Tremblay, uh, right. uh, Ligotti, for them, have showed how to um, kind of hit that Lovecraftian vibe without leaning on the actual Cthulhu mythos, mm-hmm. but have that you know, especially Ligotti, you know, the surrealism and you know, and you know, cold, uncaring universe that's stranger than you can possibly imagine. That, I really like that kind of horror, so uh, I dig that, and I actually like. Um, I mean, and I guess I actually like a lot of um, a lot of. I'm uh, getting more and more into fantasy that maybe doesn't take itself as seriously, because I already mentioned uh, Simon R. Green, who I think I think all his books have a are, are kind of tongue in cheek on a certain level. Where he says, you know, not only is in the not only is there a hidden world, but everything's in it. You know, aliens, demons, elves, whatever. That's all there. Or um, another writer I, I met a couple of years ago and started reading his stuff and found out I really liked it is uh, Ailey Martinez. Mm. And uh, his yeah, his stuff is, um, on, on a certain level, is, um, yeah, we know this is absurd, you know, but let's uh, let's roll with it and, and, and see what kind of a good story we can make out well, of it. Well, for his stuff, what I enjoy the most about it is that it makes me laugh. Yeah. It makes me laugh What's his every name time. That I, way? Christopher Golden is that way as well. Oh, it uh, makes you laugh, d- uh, dude. He's got some great stuff. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask in this world of being, um, for lack of a better word, and 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 keep in mind, I'm coming, I'm coming at this from my perspective of fantasy. Right. Um, in this world of being, and I'm putting up quotes here, woke <laughs> and political correctness, um, and I don't read a lot of I, I, I don't read a lot of new stuff. I'm thinking back to the things that really spoke to me, informed me, and you know, for God, kind of taught me how to treat other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm looking at Conan. I'm looking at Philip Jose Farmer. I'm mm-hmm. looking at. I'm looking at these things that, that there's a lot of there's a lot of sex and violence extended together in in all of it. Uh, for that matter, that you know we talk you know we started talking about the gore mm-hmm. uh, novels. Uh, They're a tough sell today. Yeah, it is. Is there well, not to everybody? <laughs> well, I guess I guess my question is: Is there a space for that type of work in the in the popular I don't know literature world today? Uh, well, I, you know, I mean, I talk about, um, you know, I, I talk about the the Tor Bane culture wars, 
in the genre. This is my name for him, but I mean, there's a there's a big split in um, there's a big split in the genre right now between people who are um, you know people who are kind of old school and would say you know there's nothing wrong with uh, there's nothing wrong with the way that you know Howard and Lovecraft and you know guys like that did it and and the people who are uh, you know woke or and or consider themselves so and, and said you know. Really, you know, people shouldn't be writing stories like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that um, I, I'm I'm pretty much on the I'm pretty much on the side of the woke people in terms of writing new material. Mm-hmm. But um, but the um, but I think that um, I think that you know the stories that are like Howard's that are a product of their time. To a certain extent, you need to to cut them a break if there's clear literary merit, you know. And and and, sure. and, 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 and I think at Howard there definitely is. I mean, I also think that um, I also think that if you're writing something historical, you have to, um, you know, you you can't be false to that setting, right? Right. And right. In, in the interest of being politically correct, I mean, if you're going to write about um, if you're going to write about a milieu like the Middle Ages, you know, you can't just say, oh, you know, the sexes are all the same and, you know, everything everything was cool on that level because, you know, it wasn't, you know. Right. Well, it's like you, were saying, yeah. you, you mentioned Lansdale, and Lansdale, when he writes a lot of the Hap and Leonard novels, gratuitous use of the N-word, but it works because it's a representation of Eastern Texas. In much the same way that, that Tarantino uses yeah. it, it within his world that, that he's putting together where mm-hmm. it would be dumb it, w- it would be disingenuous to ignore this right you know? yeah I mean and Nolan was actually talking about one of the things he's talking about in his books is race and mm-hmm. prejudice so you know he's got to he's got to depict it to attack it yeah. right. <laughs> right that guy's got such a great voice uh, oh, fantastic the other thing uh, you mentioned Hidden Worlds another person that does the Hidden World thing really well is China Mieville Mm-hmm. If you've read Perdita Station or any sure. other good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you working on right now? Uh, I am writing a uh, novella for um, uh, Falstaff Press. I guess I can say this. Uh, that um, I, I pitched them a uh, I pitched them a fantasy, what well, an epic fantasy, and with the idea that instead of telling it in big fat novel sized chunks. Mm-hmm. Let's see what would happen if we told it in novella-sized chunks and published those ones at a, one at a time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's the um, that's the the current thing. And I've got a thing out, a uh, cyberpunk thing out that uh, I'm waiting for it to come back with those beta reader comments. That I <laughs> sure, I'll sure. jump on that whenever it uh, shows up. And uh, on that, I've got, I mean, I've got a I've got a couple novel ideas that. Um, Need to be, um, you know, need, I, I need to return to and, and work on. How far uh, out? Do, how far out do you schedule? Like, do you say? Really depends. Okay. I mean, things have been. Uh, I think since since you know, the Forgotten Realms fiction line basically ended, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. And things say things have not been as busy for me, mm-hmm. which is why I took this other gig that I just mentioned <laughs> that I mentioned right. earlier. Um, hey, girls. I, 
Yeah, but but yeah, I mean, it, it, it things can be really busy. I mean, I'll schedule as far out as um, you know as, as I need to. Um, it's, um, sometimes you get some. I mean, don't you find that like freelance writing is a real up and down feast uh, of famine kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean sometimes. You get, I mean, but I mean, well, you know, as far as money, pretty much always famine. But as far as actually having, you know, work that's been contracted for, and, and you have, you know, gigs that you got to do. I mean, some sometimes I have them scheduled way the hell out there, and sometimes it just looks like, oh, nobody wants anything. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a perfect time to work on your own. I mean, your the passion project of your own. The yeah. thing you've been working on for years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a basically a kind of my own urban, uh, urban fantasy novel that I really want to finish. I wrote it as a, I wrote it as a, you know, outline and sample, and uh, a couple people have seen it, and, and, and nobody's bitten on that. And then somebody told me that, oh, they're not you know, the publishers unless like you have an ongoing relationship with a particular editor, and you know, they've been doing your books for a million years, then nobody's buying outline and sample anymore. That they want, uh, they want, they want. Full novel. So I guess I ought to finish the damn thing, and then maybe then I can sell it. How how shitty is that? Is that yeah. now you have to actually do the work, right? Before and then see if somebody's what, you, 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 as opposed to getting hired to do the work. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean it's definitely um, it's definitely not writer's advantage, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I mean, you because uh, I mean if if you let's say you let's say you spend a couple let's say you spend a month writing a proposal. And nobody buys it. Well, you lost a month. Let's say you spent um, four months writing the whole book, and nobody buys borrows, buys that. Then you've lost four months. So yeah, right. It's yeah. not great for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always bitch about the plight of the writer. How like musicians can make play a song, and immediately people go, "Yes, I like that." Or art that sucked. Uh, yeah, yeah, art is the same way. But like writers, I hand you a pile of paper, and maybe in a mu- uh, three weeks, I hear right. back from you, and right. it's it's so inherently lonely. I am pitching. It's so lonely. <laughs> it's so lonely. <laughs> but it can be. That's why we do the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do think that another bad trend in publishing. I, I probably shouldn't turn this whole into an extended thing about let's all bitch about publishing, but yeah. I just like. I, I feel like um, I feel like editors just ghost you after receiving a submission a lot more than they used to. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I used to. Um, yeah, I mean, you it used to be uh, you pretty much count on at least getting a no. Right. Well, a lot of times you just uh, don't hear back, and that's well, uh, and again, that's not to your advantage because it means if you got a no, then you would send it someplace else right away. Right. If you don't get a no, then um, you lose time because you know you're waiting on that response. It doesn't come. It doesn't come, and it doesn't get back out in submission. I have to assume that they, like everybody else, has just so much of everything coming in, mm-hmm. whether whether it's information through the internet or whatever, or whether it's submissions from people who want to be writers, or whether well, no matter what it is, that everybody's having to deal with so much more. It probably becomes a lot easier to just ignore shit. Yeah. I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true, but it, you know it doesn't help people on our side. Right, agreed. Right. Hey, I I know nothing about this whatsoever, but I do know this: when I go to the when I go to the bookstore and I look at these racks of series, what the fuck is up with Warhammer? We're like, <laughs> there's there's like a hundred books, and they're all like three inches thick, and uh, like 
Somebody's making money, you yeah. know, like I like somebody's I, reading them. I guess I don't know, but I I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know anything about it. Uh, it's a you know it's a big what you know there's two there's Warhammer and there's Warhammer 40k which I think might be the more popular one, and and Warhammer is a is a medieval fantasy milieu which is you know pretty dark and grim and, and very war very warlike. But, but isn't it and also in space? Warhammer 40k is the future version. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, isn't it like in space and shit? Isn't there space? That's the Warhammer 40k. Okay, that's the one. That, that's the one that's the thousands and thousands of years after the original Warhammer, and, and you know, the 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 guy, the civilization that's depicted in Warhammer has, you know, developed spaceships and moved out into space and encountered aliens and I try to say and all that shit. Too. I try to say one provocative thing per show just to get somebody to give us some feedback. <laughs> we, we've got lots of listeners, but people rarely talk to us. So I'm hoping that I've pissed off the Warhammer. some Warhammer fan. <laughs> the faction of Warhammer. The war, there's some aggrieved Warhammer guy out there. Yes, yeah. and he needs to let you. us know. Between last week's show on metal and this week's show, it's like, I, I like to think of myself as pretty up on things. I am monumentally naive. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta replace that, dude. Do you have a website that people can come go to, or just find you on Facebook and Twitter? Uh, the best place to find me is on Facebook. Right on. All right, cool. Uh, we are gonna take a break, and uh, we will be back in a sec. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thanks again to, to Richard Lee Byers for coming on and, and, and sharing his thoughts on this this thing that we don't talk about very much. And and yet, you know, we don't talk about it very much, but we have this common like the Conan stories, for example, mm -hmm. are huge in, in yeah. our Yeah, and I think it also shows that at the end of the day it's all it's all comes down to story. Yeah. It all it's all the rest of it is all just you know the things that you like, right. but at the end, it's always about compelling. The story tales becomes more important than the trappings. Yeah, agreed. Uh, let's see. Moving on to second hour stuff. Dead guys. Danny Kerwin. You know, with that, that guitar it, player. It occurred to me we need to uh, we need to license um, June Carroll's the people who people died. who died. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> this is a weird thing to say. Um, but Danny Kerwin, guitar player for early, early Fleetwood Mac. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lorraine Gordon, uh, ninety-five. She was one of the co-owners of the Village Vanguard, oh. which was 
huge, huge. 70s, yeah. 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, there's so many jazz records live at the Village Vanguard, you know. Um, John Heisman, this one killed me. Brain Cancer, he's a drummer. Used to be in a band called Coliseum and Coliseum 2. Sure. Heavy prog rock guy. Right. Absolutely brilliant. And to hear, like, brain cancer. Mm-hmm. That, that's rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, DJ Fontana, drummer for Elvis Presley. Drummer for Elvis Presley was there from, just kind of as bookmarks, he was the guy drumming when Elvis made his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show, and he was the guy drumming when he did the 68 Comeback Special, wow. just to kind of give you an idea wow. of how how present this guy was. Yeah, he was inner circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Could you imagine? Uh, that no. guy would have had crazy stories. stories. Yeah. I heard on the radio, uh, some podcasts I was listening to, Mac Davis? Remember Mac Davis? Yeah, I remember. Talking about getting a call to do to watch a movie and they, he went to the movie theater and Elvis had bought out the entire movie theater and it was literally him and Elvis sitting in the movie theater watching like Cannonball Run how weird would that have been <laughs> he's in the full Elvis thing too it's like he's he's chilling but it's Elvis was Elvis all yeah, the time yeah yeah yeah, yeah weird right he was on yeah Mike uh, Davis, man, I haven't thought about that guy. Yeah, you know. the fact that he's still alive. Lord, it's hard to be humble. Yeah, when you're perfect Matt, in every way. He his show was so important back in the day. His little variety show sure. he had. Uh, anyway, um, and you know what? Future show variety shows, man. Because right? there's a million. Yeah, everybody who had. <laughs> hey, if you're somebody out there and you know a lot about variety shows of the seventies, sixties, seventies, and eighties. Contact us. We gotta get a <laughs> little. Be, yeah, we want to talk to you. That would be hilarious. Uh, let's see. This was just uh, yesterday. Matt Guitar Murphy from the Blues Brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and who also uh, acted mm-hmm. in in the in the Blues Brothers yeah. film. And and uh, he was present in like Think the Aretha Franklin right, song. Right, exactly. You can see him pretty featured pretty heavily. Yeah. Well, yeah. he was he was the husband. She was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was. He's a big out. big dude. If you go through his discography, where everything that he's been connected to, he's yeah. like he's a guy like Tommy Tedesco that was just on it, just everything. everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, uh, Nick Knox, drummer for the Cramps. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, yeah uh, I. Tough. And any of those any of those deaths always gut me. Fairly like, young, it, not terribly old. Right. But um, yeah, I hear you. Um, uh, We're going to be doing a show coming up. I don't know how 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 quickly it is. I know that that we have scheduled a show about yes. films dealing with loss, mm-hmm. and and uh, we all have at least the three of us that are going to be talking have reason to talk about that. Yes, and and uh, and, and you know when it, when I look at the news, um, it's something that. All of us kind of need need to deal with in in mm-hmm. one way or another, um, especially when you consider the suicide rate. Right, it, and, and that's what I was yeah, that's what I was referring to. Where even if you're even if you're young enough that you're not losing people in your family, mm-hmm. you are experiencing these feelings. Yeah. Uh, well, look at how people reacted um, to Anthony. We talked about it last week. Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. There's still people with. Bourdain is their avatar on Facebook right. and on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 
So yeah, I, I'm look. That's going to be a great. It's, I think it's like a week or two that we're going to do. Okay, this. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm pausing because I'm thinking if this comes together, we got we got a kick and show next week. Yeah. Uh, going on the news, J.J. Abrams and Zach Quinto are doing a love story film based on the uh, the love affair of Tab Hunter and Anthony Perkins. Which sounds amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if J- Abrams is going to direct or just produce, but yeah, that was one of those things. Yeah. That both of those guys were kept pretty solidly in the closet because of their their stature as sure. you know, pop kind idols. Kind of like Rock Hudson. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, Leah Thompson in an interview said that she'd love to resurrect the Howard the Duck franchise. I would love somebody to resurrect the Howard the Duck franchise I think, because I'm one of the few people that will stand up. I'll punch somebody at, <laughs> over for, Howard the over, Duck. Over Howard the Duck. I love that. First movie. of all, the fact that no one mentions that she's fucking a duck is awesome. That well. That's one of the reasons why I stand up so hard for this film is because it speaks to the other. And, the other, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I uh, didn't know where you were going with this. <laughs> I'm not talking about. I'm not advocating sex with animals, but I'm. I, but I do think that it is a good metaphor for um, uh, something that is outside the traditional norm. I'm sure. putting up, you know. Animal. I think it's a lot to hang on Howard the Duck, but yeah, well. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. The other thing is, is Leah Thompson. I mean, other than Back to the Future, that's her friend. That's her big. Right, you know, maybe some kind of wonderful. Well, I could. I mean, I, I, you know, I think this is purely a a uh, a, a marketing thing. She's like, hey, Marvel's big, and the mm-hmm. weird characters are being looked at again. You know, so why not? Why not? Yeah, you did it. Well, we talked you into that nonsense once, right? And Francis Ford Coppola was kind of it. No, was it Coppola? I know Lucas was involved. I want to say Coppola had something. To, a friend maybe. of mine. A friend of mine, Brian Ellison. Yeah. Um, sometimes co-host of the show uh, is in the last scene when they play in the band. When they're playing in he's the in band. The crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he's, he's in, in the, the crowd. <laughs> uh, Infinity War broke two billion dollars in revenue. That's stupid. Billion dollars. That's stupid. I. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that movies are doing well, but. Yeah, I just I just like to chew that over and just go two billion dollars. I just love like I well no I don't love I hate that we're in a world where you're either making a single digit million mm-hmm. dollar movie you know right like Get Out mm-hmm. and then it does super good and then or we're making these movies that cost you know the, the gross national product of a nation yeah and. And 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 you have to make two billion dollars, otherwise you don't. Well, they're learning that with Solo. Because there's they're they're not, they're going to take they're never going to get their money back on. How many Solo. times have we talked about the the loss of the of the middle class? Mm. And in this particular case, the middle class of films. Where sure. Like you're either making dinky movies yeah. or you're making giant movies. Look, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of my favorite movies are those places in between. Agreed. And and uh, I think they need to come back. Yeah, you mentioned Get Out. Yeah. Jordan Peele. Yeah. Wants to do um, a live action Gargoyles. Yeah. 
I'm in. Sure, absolutely. I am fucking in. Here's here's what happens a lot of times. It's like you make your tiny movie mm. and it does well. So now yeah. we give you the a little more the, to, the, the to, well they gave him he's producing thing. this Twilight Zone series for show or HBO or Showtime right. and and this Lovecraft Country thing he's, that he's becoming involved. the next Del Toro. It's like yeah. it's like I've got a million products. Yeah, know? yeah, and even if half of them don't come to fruition. And, cool. uh, you know, with Hollywood, it is a numbers game. you got to throw yeah. so many balls of mud at the wall in mm-hmm. order to get some of them to stick. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, Kim Dickens, who's an actress in that was in Deadwood, says that the Deadwood film could start filming as early as this fall. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm down. Um, Ewan McGregor was announced to play a grown-up Danny Torrance in... King, uh, adaptation of King's Doctor Sleep. Yeah, and I think that's a good choice. I think the sequel to The Shining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good choice. I did not like the book, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, if somebody's going to play Danny Torrance as a, as an adult, I think that's a good choice. Okay. Um, I'm going to fuck this name up. Pinar Toprock um, was uh, given the job of scoring Captain Marvel. I bring it up because it's the first time that a female composer has scored a Marvel film. Oh, cool. So, kudos to Marvel on that one. Too bad it's such a crappy character. Uh, (laughs) This is the... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is the, the piece that it, while it may seem like more Mad Libs, it gets better and better and better as we go along. Are you ready? Uh, Mike Epps Craig Robinson, who was in um, Hot Tub Time Machine, right, and Wesley Snipes have joined Eddie Murphy in Dolomite Is My Name. <laughs> the director is Greg Brewer, who directed Hustle and Flow. Right. It's being written by Scott Alexander and La- Larry Karaszewski, who wrote the script to Ed Wood. Okay. I'm kind of in. Is Even it, more in than I was last week. Wait, is it is it a fictional Dolomite movie or it's a is fiction, it a biopic? It's a about biopic Rudy about Rudy Moore as Dolomite. Oh, okay, okay. It, there was a point there late in Rudy Ray Moore's life that it got a little fuzzy, like sure. who was Dolomite and what was Rudy Ray Moore. Right, 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 right. But the fact that the Ed Wood guy's involved, the yes. hustle and flow guy, plus fucking Wesley you, Snipes. Plus, you know that all these guys. Dolomite was important. To Revere him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I, I can only imagine good things from this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one. Of, like I say, it just keeps getting better. Who, who's and who's going to play Rudy Ray Moore? Is it Eddie Murphy? I think so. Okay. Yeah, and just it's going to be Eddie Murphy talking shit. Yeah. And when we get to the Kung Fu years, yeah. Oh come yeah. on! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to need a <laughs> resuscitation. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Alright, moving on to trailers. Uh, first up, Medieval Horror, Satanic Panic, All of the Witch, in a movie called The Appearance. Um, it, it It's it's so Game of Thrones, the guy who plays Hodor is cast in it. Right. Um, it made me think of... Uh, uh, oh, the Sean Connery film... The Name of the Rose. Name of the Rose. Yeah. It made me think of that, I, and I don't mean that like story-wise or anything, but it just it just had that feel, you mm-hmm. know, because it's taking place in this 
this is a little later. They they're, they're in a convent. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, and things are going on. Things are going on. Yeah. Definitely. And it just felt. It reminded me also of uh, the Paul Verhoeven thing, Flesh and Blood. Yes. With, yeah. 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 Uh, Brecker Hauer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Sure. If it comes on Netflix and I got nothing to do, I'll sure. stick around. Yeah. But, um. No, nothing really set me off. Nothing. On this yeah. One. Nothing made me really <coughs> excited about it. It looks fine. If you if that's your thing, then this looks like you should definitely watch it. Okay. Good. Uh, next up, Cabin in the Woods director Drew Goddard's new film called Bad Things at the El Royale. Um. Kind of a great cast. Kind of a noir, very Quentin Tarantino feeling, sure. very snappy dialogue, and lots of quick cutting. And this reminds me of a trailer that we watched a couple weeks ago. The name of which, I, of course, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it did. It had that uh, that uh, neo noir thing mm-hmm. going on, and, and this definitely looks like more of that. Um, a lot of neon, um, yeah. um, twists and turns. Was it the Marco Margot Robbie thing? Remember? Maybe. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But it's a lot. It, it, it was very stylized. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of made me think of Van Rock and actually. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very much so. That sort of almost stage-bound noir neon yeah. thing. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hemsworth in it, I guess, is the charming killer. Question mark? Kinda looks like that. Yeah. 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 Um, fine enough. Sure. May maybe this is not something I'm going to search out, but again, if it's on and a bunch of people I'm with want to watch it, right? Sure. I'm not buying that DVD. I'm not buying that no. DVD. Up next, uh, I I'm assuming it's sort of a first person ghost story um, called The Devil's Doorway. It's set in what they used to call Magdalene laundries, where they would where they would put women who were... There were asylums. Uh, right. And it was everything... Or just women that were trouble. From, well, yeah, it was everything from mental illness to you're pregnant out of wedlock. Yeah. And uh, and they put them to work, and I guess within this world, some past uh, women have died, and I guess they're haunting the place. This looks... We assume. I mean, there's... I'm, there's, I'm there's getting... That's, this is the trailer with the, the bells that start ringing on their own? Yeah, 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 yeah. something yeah. different? Yeah. I want to say that that's what that's, this yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I, I'm in because I'm... I like that we're getting back to the slow burn ghost story. Sure. So, I might be interested in this. Uh, up next, Ryan Gosling is Neil Armstrong in a film called First Man. I'm in. I think it, it looks, looks... great. I think it looks great. Um... The one feeling that I got while watching it was like, I've seen this story. Mm-hmm. Wasn't this the right stuff? And and yeah, and so uh, <laughs> I think it looks great. I don't know if I'm going to seek it out just yeah. because I feel like. Well, I'm, I have a feeling you're not going to have to seek it out. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be everywhere. It's going to be shoved in my face. Yeah, and I think this is it has Oscar bait written all over sure. it, and yeah. you know. But it is. It's the story of. Whereas the right stuff was more the story of like um, the space race and, and getting up there, mm-hmm. um, this is more about specifically the race to the moon. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it looked solid. I yeah. mean, I'm, again, yeah. Uh, next up, Claire Foy, who's in The Crown, takes over the role of the girl in the uh, spider tattoo um, in The Girl in the Spider's Web. Sure. 
this thing had me at 10 seconds in when she when you see the rollout of her abducting this guy for right. want of a better word I'm in I don't D- care what happens dishing after out this. punishment yeah. yeah no it looks great um I, you know, I'm such a fan of the uh, the original films. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but am I wrong? This is the fourth book, is that correct? That I came after I don't those first three. I, I feel like it is, but mm. I uh, I may be. Well, they lost. What's her name? Romy, Matt, not Romy Malik. What the fuck was her name? The name that was Romy Rapace. Yeah, that was in the first. Uh, the original. Uh, what were they? Swedish. Well, they're the Swedish films, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the original American one. Well, she wasn't in that. I forget her name though. Um, the actress that was in it, but they changed her. This now this Claire Foy is looking right. badass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just was kind of in, and the fact that it seems like she's been pulling an equalizer yeah. kind of thing, just yeah, yeah. setting things to yeah. right. Yeah, I'm I'm in. Yeah, and I lo- I like I even like the American version. I haven't seen all of these. Um, I love the the original three. The American version I just angered me because they were doing it in the first place. But that's me being. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll have to check them out. I dig the whole vibe yeah. of, of the, the oh, story. Absolutely. I mean, it's a you know, it's a Death Wish movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, trailer de- debuted this week of Halloween. The the yeah Danny McBride, McBride, and David Gordon Green. And Halloween. you know, I have not had any interest in any of the Halloween movies mm-hmm. after the first Halloween, except this one. Yeah. It, this looks to me like are it, like they're ignoring. All the shenanigans that have gone, and this is a direct sequel to the very first Halloween movie. Or no, I think it's Halloween Halloween one and two. Yeah, because Jamie Curtis was in both of those. Yeah, I I don't know if they're ignoring H two O, which is the movie she was in. I I don't know. She was in like it was like the sixth or seventh in the series. I do like that. The one she's now saying she only did for the paycheck. Right. This one feels like. I just stepped back into that town in Illinois, yeah. and and it feels like very um, nostalgic, yeah, for yeah for that. It, whole it's world. plucking my nostalgia heartstrings. Yeah, me. absolutely. Uh, up next, uh, trailer for a Showtime series that Michelle Gondry is doing with Jim Carrey, dude, called Kidding. Out of all the shit. Out of all the all the shit, out of all the trailers this week, yeah. this is the one that has me the most excited. It's bizarre, right? It's bizarre, but it looks amazing yeah. because it's like, pick, it's imagine like Mister Rogers uh-huh. having to deal with some real issues, real shit, yeah, real yeah, shit. yeah, yeah, and uh, and I'm I'm all over it. I this is the kind of thing that I think Jim Carrey does best. Mm-hmm. I was never a fan of Jim Carrey's comedy stuff. Right. But I love him in The Majestic and The Truman Show and, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Number 23. Yeah, this new thing that he's doing that from the Swedish director where it's a hardcore crime thing. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. reviewed the trailer oh, yeah. a few weeks ago. Looks great. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and this is a he was almost I know. This looks... I'm all about this. Like, Catherine Keener's in it. Yeah. And Jesus. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, next up, Lenny Abramson, who directed... Room, yes, um, is doing a, a haunted house story called The Little Stranger. Yeah, more slow burn. More slow burn. Yeah, I, I, I think it. I think it looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, if you, again, if you, if you like, 
there, there is this resurgence that it seems like people are getting the idea that like ghost stories don't have to be jump scares, mm-hmm. and uh, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the thing that makes that creeps you out. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 This um, the fact that it's being directed by the guy who did Room. I can't help but feel like he's got more on his mind than ghosts. Yeah. Like, there's something more to this film than just some spooky sure shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next up, Extreme Spanish Horror, uh, Night of the Virgin. Yeah. This just looked like... Uh, I'm surprised I didn't see Ian Bracken's name. <laughs> <laughs> it just looked like extreme... It looks balls to the wall. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And fun. the fact that it's Spanish is makes it even funner. Yeah, because they they seem to address this stuff with a with a absolute with, with a gusto. Yeah, a gusto. <laughs> yeah, but it looks great. Uh, let's see. Next up, um, Shane Black's Pre- the Predator. This feels really familiar. Yeah, it it. And the only thing that they're that saves it is this sort of uber predator that they introduce. Yeah, I. Which just seems like it, it seems just like wrestling. I was really excited when I heard that Shane Black was doing this, and and maybe I'm you know maybe I'm wrong, um, but there's a few things that makes me go yawn, and I just don't care. One that has taken place in the suburban uh, suburban mm-hmm. environment. I, I don't like Predator that. doesn't work in the city. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't like Predator Two because it was in the city. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like. If you don't want to put him in the jungle again, cool. What about the desert? There's a what big about fucking the, war in the desert, yeah, buddy. Man. How about how about Predator in Chernobyl? Oh, dude, right? <laughs> All right. How, how crazy could that be? Uh, yeah. Predator in the ocean. Yeah. What would that be like? You know? Yeah. It, it's. It, but what this what this demonstrates is that a big chunk of the Predator franchise has to do with where it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it does for me. Anything is going to be better than like small town USA, yeah. Because it didn't work in AVPR, and it doesn't seem to be working in this thing, right? Um, I I I thought it totally worked in AVP mm-hmm. because we're in this like yeah. completely alien landscape, and and then we find this alien, for lack of a better word, city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really a city, but the the pyramid, you know, underground, and it's like uh, for me that totally worked. But yeah. anyway, anyway, I'm I am less excited about this than I was. Yeah, almost they gave almost a little too much. Too much. Yeah. To me. Um, up next, documentary on Robin Williams called "Come Inside My Mind." Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, great to hear the insights from people again, and I hate to be a dick, but. I feel like I've seen all this. I, see, yeah. I feel like I, like after after he died, I feel like all of this stuff came out, and it just feels to me like somebody took all that stuff, mm-hmm. including interviews with the family, and kind of put it all together. Yeah, it, it it also feels a little like the Gary Shandling thing that's playing right. on HBO right mm-hmm. now. Um, I'm in just because anything that we can do to promote comedy. Sure, sure, absolutely. And then lastly. Um, a noir with Matthew McConaughey, Diane Lane, and Anne Hathaway called Serenity. Yeah. Um, this might be good. It, 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 it felt like 
almost like season one of True Detective kind of vibe. Yes, and and for that I'm excited. Um, but I think your choice of words is really good. This seems almost seems like it could be good. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to tell from the trailer because it could also be um, not so great. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know why, but this particular week I'm I'm less enthusiastic about almost all the trailers that that other than that kidding. Other than kidding, kidding is just like I, I'm I'm giddy, uh, yeah, like a kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's so hard these days because like it's uh, days before we even start to pull our information together, and right. I've already got. 15 trailers for next yeah. week, so I'm going to have to do some cutting, it's, but there's you know, so much stuff coming I mean, out. Each week, each week, I'm like encouraged, like it's no one's stopping making movies. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and uh, our movie pass cards came, so we're going to be Woo-hoo. going to movie pass. Have you, speaking of, have you watched anything? We'll do a couple things and get us out of here. Um... I have not watched anything. No, it's we're we're so short shorthanded at work, like doing a lot of overtime, and, right? And and doing that that grind that gets old after a while, and it's just kind of like one day running. just yeah. passes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um We didn't watch much either. We did watch the um, newest episode of um, My Next Guest Is the Letterman Interview Show right. on Netflix, and it's Howard Stern. And I find it really interesting. It's nothing new that you don't know if you know Howard. But I found it interesting that in all the other episodes, they keep doing these away pieces. Right. None of that. It was all just him and Howard oh, on good. The stage. So. Those, those actually kind of annoy me. Do they? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'd much, I'm, I'm much more interested in hearing the conversation. Agreed. Yeah. Especially because they know each other. They really know each other well. And Howard is not above giving David shit. Sure. And you can tell David doesn't get shit a lot. Yeah. And so... Yeah. yeah. That makes for a fun dynamic. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. Um, are you reading anything? Um, I'm reading um, something by Jason Heller. Um, <laughs> it's called Strange Stars. There you go. You, you remember it. Um, and it is examining... And it's funny because we did... You know, last week we did a show that was examining the connection between heavy metal and horror genre, this book is about the, the connection between rock music and science fiction. Oh, cool. Um, kind of specifically really focusing in on the period between 1969 and 1980 um, with bookmarks of David Bowie's Space Odyssey, or uh, Space Oddity, and um, Ashes to Ashes at the other huh. end. Huh. And, um, and, and, and all the stuff going on in there, you know, um, uh, George Clinton's parliament, oh, wow. and the mothership, and, and how all of this stuff, and I mean, even talking about Nico, or uh, Miko, um, uh, the, the Star Wars disco yeah. thing, and how just that time in the 70s where technology was 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 at the point where it's like it's all new and futuristic you know yeah. we're landing on the moon and yeah. and all that kind of stuff and how Walter, Walter Wendy Carlos I mean, yeah. yeah and how all of that stuff and was reflected by the music and vice versa huh. you know Brian Eno oh that's very cool elect, you know we get synthesizers for the first time right 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 right. it's a, it's a, it's a cool read yeah oh that's very cool uh, as I mentioned earlier I'm reading the um Philip Jose Farmer. The book is called The Mad Goblin, the Doc Caliban book. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a it's amusing. It's very it's interesting. Tr- it's trippy. Yeah, it's very trippy. I, I I think I told you about, you know, the in the Feast Unknown, mm-hmm. um 
that uh, the the evil villain comes up with a uh, is like a potion or a poison or something that causes both of those characters. Both those characters are in the book, mm. and it causes both of those characters to only be um, sexually aroused during times of violence, <laughs> and, it, and it comes down to this big. He 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 somehow I, I can't remember how it works, but they wind up fighting each other. Sure they do, and uh, <laughs> and they're both incredibly sexually aroused while battling each other in the nude. Sure, <laughs> as you do, as you do. Yeah. What I find fascinating about that that whole world is like you can, and, and as we were talking earlier with Richard. I don't think there's a lot of books that address it, but there is a history. There's a, there's like a, um, a a thing that was written that I think Farmer wrote that maps all this out, and it's actually like there's this huge family, and it and it it, it involves um, historical figures from history mm-hmm. and from literature, and how they're all part of this family, and um, it's 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 fascinating. Right on. Yeah. Right on. It's weird, but it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Farmer, Farmer was always one of my go-to guys. Is that pubescent boy, man? Yeah. Like there was a lot. There's a lot of meat there for you to do. There's a giddiness it. here that yeah. you read it along. You know that as he's writing, he's just laughing. He's just laughing his ass off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard anything good? Um, you want to talk about? Uh, not really. Lately, my Pandora has been stuck on the massive attack station, so I've been listening to oh, mostly okay. trip hop stuff. Oh, right on. Um, which is all great. You know, it's like you know everything from Massey Star to um, Portishead to oh, sure. you know it's 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 ambient, but there's a beat. <laughs> there's a dance beat, and it's ambient. I will say, and I mentioned these guys once before. Love Savage, like that, that's oh yeah that people need to check out. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been doing, the, I work at a weed store, and I also, I have a friend that runs a roastery, and I've been going over there and bagging coffee for him, and I just sit and listen to record after record after yeah. record, and it's been really great. So, uh, new bio, Biosphere called Rekindle the Past, awesome, mm-hmm. one of my favorite bands. Alexander Desplat's score for Isle of Dogs is really good. good. It's almost Japanese drumming. Sure. Very, very cool. Uh, I fell down to John Hopkins um, hole with a record called Insides, and then the scores to How I Live Now, which is on Netflix, and Monsters. Um, the ambient record is better than the two scores, mm-hmm. but check out John Hopkins. John Hassel has a new record out called Listening to Pictures, Pentimento Volume 1, if you know Hassel at all, it sounds like Mark Isham with that trumpet kind of sounding. I'm almost done. Uh, Kazumi Watanabe, talked about him the last few weeks. Um, record called Jazz Impression, another one called Guitar Renaissance. Kazumi Watanabe is the shit. He's mm-hmm. one of the best guitarists in the world that no one knows about. New Inslaughter Natives called Ventra. Which was, if you know In Slaughter Natives, this is more of the same. Lots of drums in Wagnerian choirs. Soundtrack to Bad Samaritan by Joseph DeLuca. File under generic soundtrack music. It's this new thing about the serial killer and the ballets that take his car. And the guy from um, 
watch uh, Doctor Who. David Tennant. David Tennant, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Zach Robinson and Leo Beerenberg. The score to this YouTube thing, Cobra Kai, dude, it's like a Lost Survivor record. It's so 80s fat guitar and yeah. kind of stuff. Awesome. And then finally, um, you heard a little of it during the break, and that's the uh, Tyler Bates' score to Deadpool 2, which is very heavily influenced by the X-Men films, of mm -hmm. course, but it's, as you heard from that song, it's really funny. And then finally, um, Deborah DiGiovanni, um, uh, comedy record called Lady Jazz. Cool. It's I, good. I take it back. I got two things for you. Um, yes. One is... Um, the new Marilyn Manson cover of Yeah, Brian I haven't Sisters. heard it yet. Oh my god, it's so good. Like it'll give you chills. Good. It, it, it's so good. Also, you need to check out an album called Blow Your Mind by Wilco Johnson. Okay. Blow Your Mind by Wilco Johnson. Wilco Johnson, um, uh, a longtime musician, played with a lot of people. Um, last noted for playing um, on a, a, a Roger Daltrey album. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and. Um, his, his, there's actually a documentary. It's either out or is coming out about his. He he got pancreatic cancer, terminal pancreatic cancer, mm -hmm. and uh, he was like, uh, you know what? I, I'm not going to treat it. I'm going to I'm going to go the Warren Zevon route, and I'm going to make an album instead. Um, mm. And uh, at some point, he was like, uh, you know, this was in, in in part of his social media. He's like, you know, look, hey guys, I'm dying, and you know. And uh, after the album was done, um, some doctor was like, "Hey, you ain't so dying. Come, come see me. Mm -hmm. Dude's fine now. Oh. I don't know exactly. Like that would all be covered in the documentary and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, wow. What exactly wow. that entailed to write your epitaph? Essentially, so this is the album that comes after that, and it oh. is a fun rock blues." Really? Album, and where you Did can the, you can just hear a guy that's like, I'm really happy to be alive, yeah. and check out this shit. So, did the other record ever get released? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have not. Wow. I've not heard it, but um, wow. Yeah. So anyway, Wilco Johnson, that's check him out. Fascinating album called Blow Your Mind. Yeah, I'm, I wrote it down. Has a great song on there called Marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Everything in my life these days is marijuana. I just don't, and it's so funny because I feel like I always say at work like the twelve year old me is freaking out right yeah. now. But eh, when you're when you're talking to nothing but stoners, it's yeah, <laughs> it's something. Yeah. Um, hey, another one of the things I want to mention before we go: um, if you go to chetzar.bigcartel.com, yeah, Chet, uh, his car blew up and he's trying to raise some cash to get himself a new car. Oh. And so he's selling off a bunch of artwork. A big sale of, like, fucking co like, Really like, cool shit. Like, what? Yeah. And so if you like his work and you want to maybe own some of it and you thought it was uh, restrictive to, or, uh, or cost prohibitive, right. um, now's a great now's time a to time go take to, a look. Yeah, to take advantage of it. Um, and if you're not 100% sure it, uh you know, it, hopefully you listen to the show and and you know who Chet Czar is. But if you're not familiar with his work, because this is an audio podcast, it's yeah. hard for us to show exactly what he does. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a, a special content video 
um, pertaining to Chet's work for our Patreon. I was just going to say for the Patreon. Thanks to the people so far that have uh, pledged, including Chet Zar, <laughs> including Chet Zar. Um, but uh, yeah, we're working on some ideas for that. So the idea of special content, of one of a kind like pieces. Yeah. I, I may throw up fiction or something. Well, or you know what? You know what this for? You know what I like about this is it forces. Just on a personal note, it forces me to do some work, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's good. Yeah, and I, the idea of, like I say, the, the we got the movie pass thing, so I think we're going to do, be doing some like in the car quickie movie reviews that I'll sure. post to YouTube or whatever. And, and again, it's just a matter of you know, I'm I'm eyeballing a mixer and some new mics yeah. and that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, and the show is going to get better. And I swear to God, if I could, if for members, for Patreon members only, I've already posted the list of guests up until mid-September, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and so you get an idea of who's coming way beforehand. So you get a lot of information. So go to patreon.com slash bonus material podcast and you can for more information. And there's all that kind of stuff there. Also find us on Facebook and social media. Um, I'm on Facebook by my name. You're on your name. Uh, the show has its own one. If you go to Twitter, it's at bonuspod.com. Okay. So we're all over the place. Yeah. Next week, if this turns out, man, oh, man. It has a lot to do with something we talked about this week. And yeah. it's badass. So, ha-ha, as your hanger. <laughs> so for the Bonus Material Podcast, I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. Stay scary.